Good morning, everyone, and Merry Christmas. How was Christmas for everybody? Good, bad? Good? Okay, great. Glad to hear. Uh, we had a good Christmas at the Bondurant household. I've got a four-and-a-half-year-old and a, a five-month-old, and yesterday was a blast. We got to read the Christmas story together. We got to go on a three-mile bike ride. How many chances do you get to do that on Christmas? Uh, and really just enjoy one another. We had nothing else on the agenda other than enjoy one another. So that was a blast. And I think for me, uh, Christmas has become increasingly fun with a four and a half year old that now looks forward to it more and more. And this year, the fun part was being able to invite him into the gift giving process with mom. So being able to get things for mom and wrap those. And so uh, Abe did a lot of the uh, name tag pieces and then the tape, which he always uses like half the roll of tape to tape things, but it's okay. It works out. Um, and, And Abe knew about everything that mom was getting. And one of the big things that we got was a rug for my wife, which sounds romantic and all, but you have to understand our relationship. She's been telling me for almost two years that we need a new rug. And I've been telling her for two years that the rug we have can make it five more years. And so I decided good compromise on Christmas, just give her the rug, right? So we got this rug and and it was delivered here to church. That way I could sneak it home. I had to borrow a coworker's car. I got it. I got it hidden at the house. And the night it came in, I took Abe downstairs to show him this thing that we got mom because I knew that Abe could keep this a surprise for four weeks, which is a tall task for a four-year-old, but I believed in my four-year-old. And I'm proud to say Abe made it four weeks without sharing with mom, okay? Great job, Abe, but it it was way too good a news for Abe to keep to himself, okay? He could keep it from mom, but not from everyone. And one night, uh, we had Brenda Webster over at the house, uh, and uh, Brenda and uh, her husband, Tom, actually watched Abe from like March of 2020 until August, so they are really, really close. And I have to say that as a disclaimer up front, because I'm about to tell you that Abe thought it was perfectly natural to have a conversation with Brenda while he's sitting on the toilet, okay? But that's just normal for their relationship, because they're pretty close. And so as Abe is having this conversation with Brenda, he shares everything we got for mom, okay? Including the quote unquote big carpet thing that we have downstairs for mom. Meanwhile, Bree's sitting in the other room feeding our four month old, hearing every word, okay? So Abe. didn't ruin the surprise. Like he kept it from mom yesterday morning. He was convinced mom had no idea, but this news that he had was way too good for him to keep to himself, especially when he had a friend around. Now, all month long, we've been walking through this series simply called Good News, or we've been looking at the good news that came at Christmas. We started off week one by looking at that good news that had come to, what was week one? Was week one, yes, Elizabeth and Zechariah. Week one was the good news for those that, that maybe feel forgotten or feel overlooked, And we saw that there was good news as God gave them the child they had so long waited for. The following week, we saw that there's good news for those that maybe are considered outcasts by the culture, as we saw the shepherds invited in who were considered kind of vulgar, kind of on the, the outskirts of, of, of society, and yet they were invited in and actually woven into the Christmas story in a really incredible way as they got to be the first ones to see uh, Jesus. We saw that that there's good news for the humble as God came and interrupted Mary's life and and actually changed the path that her life was on. And she was invited into this Christmas story in a really powerful way. 
Just last week, we saw that there's good news for those who are, that the good news is worth waiting for. As we saw Simeon and Anna at the temple waiting for a long time for, uh, Jesus, or for the Messiah to come. And they were able to then see Jesus as a baby brought there. And then just Friday, Phil, uh, Alexa, and Jeremiah shared with us from Luke chapter 4, the reality that Jesus is the good news. And that the good news is for everyone. And today, as we wrap up this series, we're going to see how that good news isn't meant to stop with us. It's not just supposed to be good news that we receive, but it's supposed to be carried through us. In fact, this good news is so good that we can't help but share it with those around us because it's a transformational message. It's a message that that changes the way we view the world. And so today we're going to walk through the book of Luke, including in verse 10, and we're going to look at how the gospel is to be shared both in word and in deed, both in our actions and with our words. Let's start just by praying together. Father, I thank you so much for um, this season, for the chance to celebrate Jesus coming. I thank you for the chance we have today to open your word, to look at um, how it might inform how we live each and every day. God, I pray right now that you will um, just open up our hearts and our minds to your word, that we will be able to make much of Jesus as we look at your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, as we've seen up to this point, we've seen that this good news is this good news that the kingdom is coming. It's drawing near in and through Jesus and what he's done. In fact, I love the the picture we have in Luke chapter 3. If you look at Luke chapter 3, you see John the Baptist come on the scene. And John the Baptist was that child that was promised to Zechariah and to Elizabeth just a few chapters earlier. He was the, the reminder, hey, you haven't been forgotten. And as he comes on the scene, he's preaching the good news to people around them. In fact, Luke chapter 3 verse 18 simply says this about what Jesus was doing. It says he preached the good news to the people. And John coming and preaching this good news, preparing the way for Jesus was the fulfillment of a prophecy from Isaiah 40 that God would send one to prepare the way. And that's exactly what John was doing. John's announcement of good news was one that maybe doesn't sound like good news. The good news was, hey, repent. Hey, turn from where you're headed and turn to God. Stop trying to find uh, your identity, your purpose. Stop trying to find your meaning in the things that you want to do in your own desires and turn and trust God. Turn from sin, turn to God. That was the good news message that John had because there was one coming, he said, who was going to change things. And this naturally leads into Luke chapter four, where we see Jesus come on the scene, the one that John was preparing the way for. And Jesus immediately fulfills another prophecy from Luke or from Isaiah in Luke chapter four. And this is what uh, Jeremiah and Alexa and Phil talked about on Friday. So I'm just gonna touch on this for a minute. This comes from Isaiah 61. Jesus comes onto the scene. He uh, has this moment where he's beginning his public ministry. He goes to the synagogue in his hometown, which He probably went to as a kid. Maybe he even like had a hand in building or repairing as the builder that he was. But now he's being brought in and he's invited to read from the scripture. And here's what Jesus reads. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Here, Jesus begins to even like line out what this good news would mean for the world around him. 
The good news was that the kingdom was drawing near. What did that mean? Well, it meant that there was freedom coming for, for those that were um, imprisoned by their own sin or even by demons or, or by other men. There's physical restoration coming for those suffering from blindness and other diseases. There's relief for those suffering from oppression, from, from evil people, or even evil institutions. There's this fulfillment coming that, that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise that people had been waiting for. If you don't hear anything else this morning, as we look at what Jesus came to bring, those things that are lined out here, I want you to make sure you hear this. And Preet just hit on this a minute ago. These things that Jesus did weren't just like nice things that Jesus did in addition to who he was. Rather, these things came from the core of who Jesus is. The reason that Jesus came and brought freedom, the reason that Jesus came and brought relief, the reason that Jesus came and brought restitution, the reason that Jesus came and brought all of these things is because at his core, he is one who desires to see us set free. He's one who desires to shower his love on us. It comes from the core of who Jesus is, and this is good news. That's why Jesus is the good news. And throughout Jesus' ministry, Jesus continually embodies this good news. Jesus does this through his proclamation, through his words, and also through demonstrating or through his actions throughout his ministry. After we read these words from Isaiah, uh, Luke chapter 4 goes on to record how Jesus like set free a man who was uh, possessed by an impure spirit. We see how he uh, even goes on to heal Simon Peter's mother-in-law, who later became one of his followers. And then Luke chapter 4 concludes with this, this message as Jesus' ministry is gaining ground in the region he's in. It says, uh, starting in verse 40, it says, at sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness. And laying, on his, laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues in Judea. So Jesus demonstrates this good news through these deeds he's doing, but he also gives priority to the proclamation, the preaching, the sharing of this good news. Now, one thing I want us to see here is that this demonstration that Jesus did of the kingdom actually resulted in people experience some, experiencing something new and something better. He really did bring freedom to the captives. He really did set free those who were oppressed. He really did bring about recovery of sight for the blind. Those were things that he did. What Jesus did was evidence that this message, again, that the kingdom of God was drawing near was something that actually impacted people's experience of life here and now. I believe Jesus is still working to give people a taste of his kingdom in and through his followers today. He still desires to do this in and through his church today. And we'll talk more about this in a little bit. But for now, let's just make this note that this good news is something that should impact people. It should affect the lives of people around us. I mean, it was so experienced by these people in Galilee that they tried to keep him in that region, right? They tried to stop him from leaving that region. But what does Jesus say? 
says, hey, I must proclaim this news in other places as well. This is the reason why I was sent. And here we see a second thing, that the good news must not only be experienced through demonstration, but it must be shared through proclamation. It must be heard by other people. Jesus refused to separate demonstrating or having these actions and preaching or sharing the good news with those in the world. Sometimes I think we try to separate this proclamation from demonstration, and it can be um, talked about in a number of ways. I'm going to say one that's really popular now. It may be one that you hold dear to, so I hope that you won't just like write me off because I'm getting ready to say this, but I hope that, that, that maybe some disclaimers I'll give in a minute will help with that. But one way that I think we've tried to separate it is whenever we say things like preach the gospel when necessary, use words, okay? You guys heard that before, maybe here and there? Okay, now if by that, what we mean is that we should make sure that the good news of the gospel actually changes the way we treat other people around us, it should actually transform us, then yes and amen, let's do that. If by that little statement there, we mean that that we should make sure that we're actually seeing people as people and we're seeking to love them and care for them and not just yell Bible verses at them, then yes and amen, let's do that. But if by that we mean that we can actually choose between the two and be faithful to what God's called us to, I think we're missing out on what God has actually created us for. Not only that, but I think that if Jesus or the early church were to look at that, they would kind of be scratching their heads like, what do you mean? Like, you're just gonna like, be nice to people, but, but not share the good news with them. That just doesn't make sense. It would have really confused them. You see, good news that isn't proclaimed is kind of voided of power. I'm going to share an illustration of this that maybe feels a little bit too real right now, but just hang with me for a second. Just imagine for a second that you have $100,000 in consumer debt, which after yesterday, maybe some of you feel like, yeah, it's getting pretty close. Or maybe that's where you've lived for a while and you're trying to overcome that. I'm not trying to make light of that. I know this can be a real challenge, but imagine you're in that place and then someone comes and they pay for that thousand dollars. They completely wipe away your debt. You'd been receiving collection calls for a while, but all of a sudden they stop. That's great, right? But, but what if you lived the rest of your days in fear, just waiting for someone to knock on your door, letting you know that you lost your house, letting you know that your wages were going to be garnished, letting you know that, that, that there's something coming that's not good. You know that that is haunting you throughout your days. The calls stop and that's great, but you're not actually able to experience that freedom from that debt, right? Why? Because you don't know what has happened. You don't know the good news of what has happened. The good news can't just be demonstrated. It must also be shared with people. Demonstration apart from proclamation doesn't advance this mission that Jesus has invited us into. The message of Jesus proclaimed was that there was good news. The kingdom of God was drawing near. It was this good news that, hey, in the beginning, God created all things and all things good, but then humanity rebelled against God, chose to trust the words of a serpent rather than the words of God. And in that moment, humanity turned away from God. The good news was that God did not leave us there, right? 
But God made a way for us to come back in and through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, giving us the chance to have a healed relationship with God, with other people, and the rest of creation. This is really good news. The kingdom of God has come close. We've talked about this kingdom of God idea before as God's reign over God's people in God's place. And the kingdom cannot, or advancing, cannot separate these ideas of word and deed. If the drawing near of God's kingdom was merely demonstrated by Jesus treating others in a humane way, like making sure people were fed or clothed or housed, then, then the substance of this whole thing he was doing would have been missed. He was doing something bigger. See, the announcement of the kingdom of God coming close wasn't just an, ex- an opportunity to experience a little bit of a better life here. It was an invitation into God's kingdom to be a citizen of God's kingdom. It started again in, in John or Luke chapter three with John the Baptist coming on the scene, inviting people to repent, to turn from the path they were on, to trust God and to see that God had a better way. It was continued throughout the life and ministry of Jesus. The announcement of the kingdom was an invitation into the kingdom to experience life in a new kingdom, to experience life in a new way, in a new place. And God still desires to do the same thing today in and through his followers. Jesus' ministry, again, is marked by demonstration and proclamation, bringing both word and deed together. And as you read through the book of Luke from this point on, if you go on from chapter four, you'll see that he calls some men to follow him, to be his followers in chapter five. And then in chapter six, he, he calls even more. He gets these group of apostles together. And throughout the book of Luke, you see Jesus do things like teach them what life in the kingdom would be like. He continues to heal people around them, to announce the good news of God's kingdom coming close. And this led to the expansion of his kingdom. You see this moment in Luke chapter seven that Jesus so embodies this thing that that he starts to interact with people that made their religious leaders really uncomfortable. In fact, in Luke chapter seven, verses 34 and 35, you see that these opponents of Jesus start to call him a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. As we look at that, I think we see that Jesus began to engage with people in such a way that it not only changed their life, but they really enjoyed being with him, right? And it made these religious leaders really uncomfortable, but this was the mission Jesus was on to invite these people who were far off into his kingdom, to invite people to experience a new life. And that's exactly what he did. And people loved it. Jesus' followers saw Jesus forgive people. He saw them uh, continue to cast out demons, continue to calm storms. They saw him like raise a dead girl to life, dead and then alive. That's not something we see every day, right? But that's something that happened in and through this ministry of Jesus. And then we come to this point where Jesus chooses to advance his ministry in a way that might surprise us. He takes those 12 men that he called together in Luke chapter six and in Luke chapter nine, verses one through six, he sends these 12 out on a mission. He sends them on a mission to do the same thing that he did in his own ministry, to go out and to advance the good news of the kingdom through their words and through their actions. He empowered them and gave them the authority they needed to do this ministry that was ahead of them. 
He sent them out in pairs to make sure that they were good to go, that they had this support that they needed. And they were sent out to treat people like real people. This is a little piece that sometimes I think we miss. We'll get to it here in Luke 10 in a minute. But Jesus sent these people out and he said, hey, whenever you interact with people, um, see that they have something to offer you as well. Recognize that these people, whenever you come to their house, like don't think that you have everything you need. Actually receive from them. Build like a real relationship with these people. That's what Jesus called his disciples to do. And we don't hear a whole lot about how that little journey went in Luke chapter nine, but I'm assuming it went well enough that Jesus decided to try it again. And that brings us to Luke chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, we'll be in verse one where Jesus uh, goes for round two of this. Luke chapter 10, verses one and two. It says, after this, the Lord, speaking about Jesus, appointed 72 others and sent them uh, two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, I love this little passage here. The first thing that I really love about this is that we don't know a single name of these people. We just know that they are the 72 others, okay? Don't know much about them or what their life was like, but they were obviously followers of Jesus that Jesus said, hey, now it's up to you to go out and advance this mission. I love this because what these people do is exactly what the early church did whenever Jesus first had those people in the book of Acts. The book of Luke and the book of Acts are written by the same person, written by Luke. And in the book of Luke, he's talking about all the things that Jesus came to do and all that he taught and accomplished. And then the book of Acts shows how the ministry and mission of Jesus was advanced through his church as he empowered them by his spirit. And in the book of Acts, you see it starts out with this message that, hey, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He said, hey, I'm going to give you my spirit and send you out to be my witnesses. And Jesus actually started that here. He empowered these people. He gave them what they needed and he sends them out. And in this first verse, I think we see a couple of things. First, Jesus did not send these people out individually. This wasn't like cowboy Christianity, like go out, Lone Star, go out, do your own thing. No, he actually had people travel together. I think this is so important whenever we think about advancing the mission of Jesus. It's not up to us to do on our own, but God created us to do this in relationship with other people. Not only that, but he gives them a starting point. Pray, right? He says, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. So as they are going out here, they pray that God will raise up even more people, that he will raise up people to do this. And I love this picture here of them advancing the gospel in this way. Let's pick things up in verse three. Jesus says, go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. He starts with an encouraging word there, right? Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals. Do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. I think there are two more important um, points that we see here. First, Jesus kind of tells them, hey, expect hostility. Jesus says this elsewhere by saying, hey, if the world hated me, don't be surprised if you are hated as well. 
But I think, again, we need to look at this and remember what else we've seen about Jesus throughout this time. Um, who were the people that often hated Jesus? It was these religious leaders, right, who thought that, hey, you're spending time with the wrong people. So we shouldn't be surprised by hostility. But as we're going out, we should trust the one who's sending us to protect us. It's not up to us to defend ourselves. Now, the second piece that I love here is that Jesus kind of gives them this word of, hey, expect that I go before you. Whenever you're going out, find those who are receptive, who are willing to welcome you into your home. I think this is an important word for us as we think about advancing the good news. I think we should look for people who we notice are really open to spiritual conversations. We should pay attention to people who really want to talk about what's going on in their lives. I think we should pay attention to those who are curious to hear about how it is that your life is the way it is. We should pay attention to people who are open to hear this good news, even if they don't know that that's what they're asking for. Even if they're just asking, why is it that you have peace in the middle of this crazy season? It could be an open door. It could be an open opportunity where God has actually gone before us. We shouldn't view other people in our lives as projects, but we should view them as real people that we are engaging with. We should trust that God goes before us. It's not up to us to save someone. Only Jesus can do that, right? We can trust that as we're sharing the good news. Let's pick things up in verse 8. It says, when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this. The kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it'll be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Now, I think the first thing we see here should be repetitive by this point. The advancing of the kingdom of God should be proclaimed and demonstrated, right? It should be marked by our words and by our actions. That's what we see happen here as they go in and they proclaim this message. We also see reiterated here that it's not up to us to save or rescue people. It's not up to us maintaining some level of status with them. We don't have to talk people into this, but instead we can just live this out and trust that God is working ahead of us. Now, these 72 people that Jesus sends out, they go and do exactly what Jesus sent them to do. And they return and they are really excited about what happened while they were on their mission. Jump down to verse 17 and read this passage here. It says, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan falling like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. I want to land here for just a minute because I think there are times where we can start getting really excited about the things that God is maybe doing in us or through us. And maybe even just the way we see God working, we start to feel like, ah, I can celebrate now because look at how God is using me. 
But I think it's important to heed Jesus's words here. I think we need to be careful about where it is that we find joy. At the same time, I think we need to pursue this kind of joy he describes here in this passage. I love this because what is it that he says there? Rejoice not in this power or authority I've given you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. See, regardless of what our lives look like in this world, regardless of what's going on, if we have trusted in Jesus, we can rejoice because we know that we are secure because of what he's done. It's not about the fruit that comes from what we do that gives us security, but the fruit is secure because of who Jesus is and because we belong to him. That is what secures who we are. But this joy idea, I think, is important because I think sometimes whenever we think about like sharing the good news about who Jesus is, what he's done with others, I think that can be a challenge. And I think there are a couple of reasons. One reason, and this will maybe sound like something you scoff at at first, but sometimes I think if we take a minute to think about it, maybe um, you'll see that this has been the case before. Sometimes we lose the wonder at what Jesus has done. Sometimes that good news that, oh, Jesus came to die and rescue you, it becomes kind of like old news. It becomes like a song that comes on the radio from when you were younger and you sing along with it, but you're not even aware that you're singing along with it. It's just kind of like, oh yeah, that's, that's great, but it doesn't leave us in awe. It's not something that maybe draws us into worship even anymore. It's something that we just kind of hear and we're like, that's great, but I think I've moved on from there. Now, 2 Peter actually warns us from this. If you look at 2 Peter chapter 1, I think it's verses 3 through 8. He talks about all of these ways that we should be growing. Add to your faith, goodness, to your goodness, kindness. And he goes off on this list and he gets to the end and he says, if you are not growing and increasing in this way, you will forget the sin that God has rescued you from. So I think the first reason sometimes that we don't share the good news is because we're not in awe of what the good news has done for us. We'll hit on that again here in a minute. But the second reason I think sometimes we have a hard time uh, embracing this idea of sharing the good news, and I think this is increasingly becoming so in our culture, is that uh, we think that like this good news may be great for me, but I'm not so sure it's great for those around me. Maybe there's someone specific in your life that you think you have an open door there, but you're not so sure how they're going to respond. You think, well, maybe they already have a belief system in place, and I I don't really want to cause waves in our relationship. I don't want to rock the boat here. Or maybe you look at someone else and you recognize, well, they're not really into spiritual stuff, so I don't know that I can actually share good news with them. This won't sound like good news to them, and we aren't really convinced that this is good news for those in our lives. Maybe we think someone's too far gone. Maybe we think they're not into spiritual stuff. Maybe we think that that they just have something else going on in their life, and that can deter us from sharing the good news of Jesus with them. But y'all, this good news isn't just spiritual stuff. The good news of the kingdom drawing near is the good news that the truest and most real thing in our world right now is that God's kingdom has broken in, in and through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The good news is that Jesus coming actually changed something about our world and the way we live in our world. 
And whenever we embrace that, we can recognize that other people, this is good news for them too. Jesus desires to bring joy in their life in a way that that we believe you cannot experience apart from being invited into God's kingdom. This really is good news for those around us because it's not just a spiritual truth, it's a truth that has changed our world. I opened by sharing the story about Abe, right, who maybe kept that from mom, but, but he couldn't help but share this good news, and that good news was overheard by mom. And as I was thinking about this message, I was thinking about how incredible it would be if we were people where, like, the good news was just overheard um, from those around us. It reminded me of uh, a writer who, who talks about the early church and how the gospel spread in the early church, like after the New Testament time. It's a guy named Michael Green, and he talks about how the good news spread through people who like weren't paid to spread the good news. And here's what he writes about this in his book, um, Evangelism in the Early Church. He says, they went everywhere gossiping the gospel. They did it naturally, enthusiastically, and with the conviction of those who are not paid to say that sort of thing. Have you ever noticed how um, sometimes whenever it comes to like your, like what determines whether or not you buy a product, sometimes it has to do with those that will tell you you should buy this even though they're not paid to tell you? Like someone who's actually um, engaged with this product and you're like, they love this thing. They're not paid to love it, but they love it. So I want that. Like I want that sort of recommendation. Well, that's what this guy is saying about how the gospel spread in the early church. It spread because the everyday ordinary person was so overcome with joy because of what Jesus has done that they couldn't help but share it. I think if we are honest, we can probably say that sometimes gossip slips from our lips a little more often than we would like. But just imagine if what started slipping out of our lips was the good news about Jesus. How could that change our city? How could that change the world if we were just having everyday conversation, if the good news of what Jesus was actively doing in our life was some of what people overheard? Could that open doors for deeper conversations? Could that open doors for people to experience this good news? But if you're like me, when you think about that, When you hear a message like this, sometimes it can feel like all that Andrew is doing is saying, hey, muster up something inside you, get yourself motivated and go and share the good news. That's not what I'm trying to say. See, because I believe that that actually begins with God doing something in us, with God reminding us of the joy we have. I want you to be motivated to go out and share the good news, but I want it to be because of what God has already done in you. So as I wrap up, I want to take a couple of minutes to do something to maybe just foster joy in your heart, to foster joy in your spirit as you think about what God has done. So if you will, I want to encourage you to just close your eyes for the next couple of minutes. As you do, I want you to think about a memory that makes you feel gratitude and makes you feel connected to God. Maybe for you, that's the moment where you consider like the day that God saved you and you're just thinking about that. Just think about that moment for a minute. Maybe it's a memory of a real connection with God on a mission trip. 
Maybe it's a memory of an experience at a camp while you were in high school. Maybe it's the memory of a birth of a child. Maybe it's the memory of overcoming an addiction. Whatever it is, take a minute. Think about that moment where you feel gratitude and connected with God. Now, there's nothing that comes to mind. I want to talk to you after service, love to pray with you. But if you have that moment, why don't you give that moment, that memory, a title? Maybe it's one word or two words that helps you just just relive that memory. Pay attention to what's going on in your body. Give that a title. Now, what I'd love for you to do is this week, each day, take three to five minutes and just reflect on this memory. Pay attention to what comes alive in you. Pay attention to how that spurs you on, how it brings joy. Or better yet, maybe you take three to five minutes each day and you think of other times that you feel connected with God and gratitude. Start making a list of those and start taking time to reflect on that. I believe as you reflect on who God is and what he has done, you will see that that will serve as the most powerful motivation you can find for the good news being demonstrated and proclaimed in your life. You can open your eyes if you haven't yet. I hope that that moment brought Now, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but one week from today, it's gonna be 2022. Like it's 2021 now, next week's 2022. And so this is a time where we normally look back on this last year and look ahead to the next year, right? This is normal in our world, not just my house. Yes, no? Yes, okay, great, thank you. At least you needed help there. Um, So as we have this time, I would love for you to take some time to maybe reflect on this year and look ahead And ask the question of God, God, how can I both foster this joy and share and demonstrate this joy that I have with the world around me? But I want to challenge you to, as you're doing that, pray for God to maybe even bring someone specific to your mind. Pray for boldness in sharing that good news. Pray for an ability to see open doors. Pray that this would be an opportunity for you and for those around you to see God's kingdom drawing near, to see God's kingdom come on earth as in heaven. Continue to foster that joy, to see how that changes things.